Welcome to Crushworthy, the podcast where we talk about the people you should have a crush on. Because not everyone is terrible. My name is Michaela. And my name is Kat. And my computer is telling me to that it needs to restart. I'm going to have it remind me tomorrow. It's a trap. It was a trap. I'm not falling for it. Sorry, <laughs> computer. Uh, so it is currently, when this airs, it'll be almost mid-November. Wait, what's the date today? Oh, it's the 3rd of December. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not ready. I can't believe how fast the time is going, um, especially because there's such, there's like three weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. It's a very weird time. Oh my God. It's a weird non-existent time. Like time doesn't exist. No. Everyone is running around all crazy getting their gifts yeah. and uh, websites are still having like Black Friday week long sales. So it's just chaos. Uh, so if you're if you're on your way to Target or you're scrolling through your Facebook ads, just like take a breath. It's okay. It's mm-hmm. just stuff. We'll, we'll we'll get through this together yeah. if we're all nice to each other. Yeah, you got time. Yeah. Um, I did notice when I came in today that uh, you have a little like a, I don't know if it's necessarily a lake or like a little pond behind your house. Yeah. There's a congregation of geese yeah. that were just eyeing me kind of suspiciously <laughs> as I walked up to your door. Yeah, they do that. There's a lot there, of them. There's a lot of them, but not nearly as many as there were a couple days ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Did uh, So we have just our, the pond in our backyard is a migration hotspot for geese. This happened last year. It was the first year that we lived here. And like hundred, I, I this is not an exaggeration that hundreds of geese like landed in our pond last year. Wow! And so far, it hasn't been consistently like that this year. But a couple of days ago, like out of nowhere, it was there was nothing on the pond, and then out of nowhere, like hundreds descended from the sky and like all just landed on the pond for like overnight, and then they left oh, the next no. morning. Did they keep you I, up at night? No, that's good. No. They were all sleeping. They were all sleeping. Yeah, uh, but I have the I have video evidence to prove it. Oh my this gosh! This is not an exaggeration. <laughs> we should post it we... on our Twitter after this episode goes up. It's very, it's it brings me a lot of joy and entertainment. It is fun. I... It is a little uh, unnerving when you're like walking up to your house though. It and is. You, you just it's... see like a bunch of them just circling, just kind of, and you can tell they're all watching you. They're yeah. Like, Who are you? And are you going to come any closer to yeah. us? It's like Alfred Hitchcock's The Bird. It is, but bigger and bitier. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's kind of our situation here today. Um, Do you want to go into our self-love circle? Sure. Uh, I don't know who's first this week. Are you first? I think you're first. Yeah, I can can start this week. So yeah, this week has been kind of just like a catch-up week, you know, recovering from the holidays. But I guess it's pretty simple this week. I, I applied for some jobs. I am finishing up my last few classes from school, and uh, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to just keep the self-care alive Yeah, <laughs> during you, these last trying weeks. It, yeah, it's it's easy to forget. You posted this great uh, a thing that you had found on Facebook about self-care, and it was kind of a hard read. It because was. Because it, it addressed the, the myth of 
what self-care is kind of sold to us as, you know, being like bath bombs and buying yourself, you know, something special, which is great, but sometimes self-care is like taking care of your like core responsibilities to yourself and parenting yourself. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard to remember that, but... It is. I think it's good. It's it's good that, you know, you've absorbed that too, because I'm sure you're up to your eyeballs in, in school and graduation stuff. So yeah, it's been a whirlwind. And I, I, I'll have to share that uh, maybe on our Twitter sometime this week that that um, post that I found on Facebook, because I yeah. found I found it really helpful. It was a very helpful reminder. The whole sentiment was just that self-care is a very is often a very unbeautiful thing whereas Mm -hmm. like i feel like the beauty industry has turned self-care into a luxury oh yeah it absolutely has (laughs) which it's not it's something that you can do every single day even though self-care is usually very hard work Mm -hmm. and that's something that i think a lot of people can overlook sometimes Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's good though that you're that you're maintaining that along with yeah, just being super to. busy. <laughs> just look forward to the time post graduation, yeah. post job hunt, and then you know, it'll it'll all be good. Things yeah. will be much calmer. Yes, for sure. That's great. How about you? So uh, my self care circle is actually uh, today. I noticed a lot of progress that um, my partner Josh and I have have made in terms of. Uh, kind of diffusing arguments before they they blow up. I don't even know what we were necessarily... We weren't... I I think I just woke up kind of grouchy today. And Josh and I were trying to plan our day and our day tomorrow because we've got a lot of stuff we need to do. And I was just kind of getting a little anxious about some of the plans and just trying to fit them into my schedule. And when you only have, you know, one full day off a week or, you know, one and a half days, like you really, you know, covet that time. And I was just kind of getting anxious about my time already being, like, accounted for Mm -hmm. every hour. So uh, we kind of developed this way of diffusing these tense moments. And it it always makes us laugh because instead of saying, like, are you upset or are you salty about this? Like, we kind of started, we made up, we, we didn't make up a word. But we found this in a meme once where, so if I'm getting irritated, Josh will look at me and he'll be like, are you crungly right now? (laughs) then we have to be like no I'm not crumbly I'm just like irritated but saying that kind of like makes you reevaluate what you're actually feeling like wait am I being crumbly you know which is kind of a mix between like salty for no reason and just kind of generally grouchy or snippy yeah and it just like encompasses that and so I love that word that is such an expressive word it is so good no with no like definition I can just feel what that word yeah like why are you being so crumbly and then like you know if you if you're angry and you're like I'm not crumbly like then you're suddenly like just saying that word you're a little less angry than you were so it's it's helped out a lot just like this kind of unspoken rule that we're like all right well maybe if we tackle an issue this way instead of taking it personally we can talk through something and you know hopefully laugh about it if it's not something actually serious so I was just proud of us because it it could have been a day with like arguing and instead we went out for lunch and we had a really nice you know morning and early afternoon off together so it was good you know I, I feel really good about being able to tackle that as a couple. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's huge. It is. You know, it, it it arguments are inevitable and fights are inevitable in any 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 relationship, but learning how to both pick your battles and to um not take yourself quite so seriously is it, it's a good thing to remember for sure. So that's that's my self-care 
circle. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Super happy for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Me too. <laughs> it's really refreshing. It's really nice. Um, so with that, do you want to take me into your crush corner? Sure. So this week I have a historical crush and she's one of my all-time favorite historical crushes and her name is Nellie Bly. Yes. So Nellie Bly, for those of you who don't know, was a trailblazing investigative journalist known for uncovering injustice pretty much wherever it might hide. She's perhaps most famous for her expose of Blackwell Island Insane Asylum, where she spent 10 days as an undercover patient to unmask the mistreatment suffered at the hands of doctors. Throughout her impressive career, she not only redefined stunt journalism, but she also staked new territory for what young professional women could accomplish. Uh, but before we get into her many splendid adventures, I want to first start at the beginning and cover a little bit of her background. Nellie Bly was born Elizabeth Cochran to a family of 15 children in 1864. She was born to a very wealthy family. Her father was a judge, and so she kind of had this uh, very well-to-do early life. Uh, her name, Elizabeth, however, never quite stuck, and her family always called her Pink or Pinky for the pink dress that she was christened in as a baby. Aww. And uh, bright pink dresses were not really uh, a color that was typically worn by, uh, uh, you know, girls of her class at the time. And so it was kind of an eye-catching uh, color, and that's sort of how she developed that nickname. Uh, her father died when she was quite young. Um, and her mother remarried, unfortunately, a man who was uh, very abusive and an alcoholic, uh, who she ended up divorcing a few years later when Nellie was just 14. And these divorce proceedings were incredibly difficult on Nellie, who had to testify and advocate on behalf of her mother throughout pretty much most of the case. Wow. And Which, at 14, it's a very, very big ask. It's and a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. Uh, however, these experiences, they laid the groundwork for her passion for defending the weak and marginalized, specifically low-income single women. Um, after all of this settled, her family moved to Pittsburgh, and Nellie wanted to become a teacher, but she was forced to drop out of school because of the financial burden. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. And then she had to watch her brothers, who had less education than her, go on to have high-paying white-collar jobs while she was relegated to earning money as a housekeeper, which she was not happy about at all. <laughs> Girl, same. That's, it's hard. First of all, it's hard work. And second of all, if you know that like you want to pursue something in like the field of education, it can yeah. be you know, hard to, yeah. to see other people who are not as... I'll say it, smart as you are, yeah. succeed. Yeah, for sure. And she was always somebody who had so much ambition, even as a child, and she was dubbed the most rebellious out of all of her siblings, and so something like this must have just killed her. Mm -hmm. uh, so while she was living in Pittsburgh um, and working as a housekeeper, she read a column in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which was a really popular newspaper in Pittsburgh at the time. Uh, the title, uh, the column was titled What Girls Are Good For, which was written by Erasmus Wilson, also known as the Quiet Observer. He was a very popular columnist at the time, um, and he was staunchly anti-woman in the workplace. And during this time, there was a very uh, heated debate over whether or not women should be allowed to work outside of the home. And this column was actually written in response to a father who had written to the Quiet Observer asking what he should do with his three da da daughters 
who were uh, of marrying age but really had no interest in getting married mm-hmm. and asking the quiet observer what he should be doing with them. And What a concept. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> a young woman who doesn't want marriage? <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Yeah, so the column, What Girls Are Good For, was basically a response to this father. And... Uh, in the column, he went so far as to call women who worked outside of the home as monstrosities. Uh, in the column, he also wrote, and this is a quote, there is no greater abnormality than a woman in, uh, sorry, excuse me. There is no greater abnormality than a woman in britches unless it is a man in petticoats, which, I mean, just gross. Ew. Absolutely gross. He was a charming man. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he had, like, hundreds of readers. Oh, yeah. That, like, just Absolutely. ate up everything. Yeah. So Nellie was just appalled by this, but it should be said that she wasn't the only uh, woman who was upset by this article. Um, A woman named Bessie Bramble, who at the time was the only female columnist at the Dispatch, was also vocal in her anger about what Wilson wrote. Uh, But Nellie was, uh, was also incredibly upset by what she read, that she decided to write a strongly worded letter to the editor advocating for women's rights and critiquing Wilson for being sexist and elitist since low-income women and women of color for that matter have been working outside the home for centuries not out of choice but out of necessity Um, mind you this was also a very very personal issue for her since she had to watch her own mother struggle as a single mother and Nellie herself could not afford to not work Mm -hmm. so these were all very personal issues for her Um, And this letter was so well-worded that George Madden, the editor of the Pittsburgh Dispatch, decided that he wanted to find her. But uh, Nellie had signed the letter not with her name, but with the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl, so Madden was unable to contact her directly. Uh, So he put an ad out in the Dispatch asking for the Lonely Orphan Girl to identify herself so that they could have a conversation. Uh, And Nellie answered the call and was pretty much immediately offered a job. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Her first article was basically a more polished, uh, refined copy of her original letter to the editor. It was titled The Girl Puzzle. Uh, And she went on to write about, you know, the awful conditions of factories and the women who worked in those factories. Uh, She earned, unfortunately, the wrong kind of attention from the factory owners themselves who were very annoyed that their businesses were being uh, put in such a negative light by this woman, yeah, this she, woman she journalist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So at risk of losing ad revenue, Nellie was forced to stop writing about these issues and was relegated to the women's pages, quote unquote, where she was expected to write exclusively about fashion, gardening, and culture, which again, she just despised. Uh, Unsurprisingly, she left that position, although she continued to work for the Dispatch on a freelance basis, and she became the first female foreign correspondent as she traveled to Mexico. And she just began to cover the conflict that was going on in Mexico. She reported on the people there, the local customs, the food. Um, The articles that she wrote during this time were collected and published under the title Six Months in Mexico. And uh, unfortunately, (laughs) her stay was cut short as she was forced to flee the country after she very vocally opposed the wrongful imprisonment of a journalist. So to avoid rest herself, she she returned to the United States and resumed her position with the the dispatch uh, to just keep earning an income, (laughs) (laughs) which I just can't I can't imagine 
just the the guts that it takes to a well she wasn't traveling alone in mexico she brought her mom as a kind of a chaperone but you know she travels to a foreign country and just she just has such a curiosity about her and is just so eager for new experiences and is not afraid to to you know let her opinions be known Mm -hmm. like nothing is going to keep her back from uh you know speaking her mind not even a mexican dictator <laughs> yeah well good for her although yeah. it's it's funny because i you know on a on a much smaller scale like that kind of like calling someone out for like bad behavior or like being a jerk or doing the wrong thing it's hard to do anyway yeah so when you're in a place where you know you don't have friends you only have like one chaperone like it must have taken so much yeah just passion for what she was saying for her to, to do that and then like recognize like oh shit I'm in danger I have to go home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's good for good for her yeah yeah um but yeah so she had to go back and she worked for the dispatch for a little bit longer still working for the women's pages you would think that the dispatch at this point would recognize her greatness mm-hmm. and would give her larger stories than what they were having her work on Uh, But unsurprisingly, she didn't last much longer at this job, and she eventually quit and left for New York, where she found a job working at the very popular and sensational New York World, which was run by Joseph Pulitzer. Um, And here begins her just harrowing trip into Blackwell Island's St. Asylum. So this was her very first assignment working with the world, and... The world wanted her to go undercover as a patient at Blackwell Island Mental Asylum. And uh, the reason why this story was so important at this current time was because there had been a lot of rumors circulating about the mistreatment going on and the abuse going on at Blackwell Island, but nobody was really able to get to the full story because they had guided tours Mm -hmm. of the asylum, which on those guided tours, everything seemed fine, but there were a lot of there was a lot of suspicion that things weren't exactly as they seemed and there was no real way to get at the answer. And mm-hmm. so uh, during this time, the world was, was known for their exposés. And so they wanted to do an expose of Blackwell Island. And so they decided to have Nellie uh, go in and sort of, oh my gosh, sorry. I lost my train of thought because <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that <laughs> I just said Nellie's name and I realized that I didn't go into why she's called Nellie in the first place. Mm-hmm. So back when she was working at the dispatch, uh, she had to change her name because all uh, female writers at the time were writing under pseudonyms and not their real names. And so she changed her name from Elizabeth to Nellie Bly and Nellie Bly was inspired by a old Stephen Forrester song. Oh, okay. Sorry. I needed to cover that before we, <laughs> before we moved no, on. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting that women had to use pen names, but I guess it was because, you know, they did face a little more risk of being just verbally, you know, and maybe possibly more severely harassed by, yeah. by readers. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate that she had to do that. Yeah. But, but I like that name. Yeah, I, it's, it suited her very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so her first assignment was to go undercover as a patient at Blackwell Mental Asylum. Um, So basically, they devised a plan to have her committed and for her to write what she experienced. 
Um, and I'm sure it'll come as no surprise that it was incredibly easy for her to be committed. Uh, she spent the night at a boarding house and pretty much just acted quote-unquote crazy. There's actually illustrations of her kind of just making faces in a mirror, practicing just like her what you would think of like as a very stereotypical crazy person she probably um, only would have had to be like i'm a woman and i have an opinion yeah exactly <laughs> she, <laughs> she did not have to try very hard yeah that's so sad yeah it is very sad um, but the saddest thing of all was that she was vetted by several doctors and specialists who basically all agreed that she was mentally unstable. And there was one doctor in particular who went so far as to call her a hopelessly lost cause and said that she needed to be locked up and protected at all costs, and uh, which is just sad. And it yeah. made her lose faith in, in doctors because she was a perfectly sane and healthy woman and all of these quote-unquote professionals all declared her insane. Uh, so once she was inside, she realized that most of the women there were not mentally ill at all. In fact, they were perfectly healthy. Uh, some of them were simply non-English-speaking immigrants who ended up there basically on accident, uh, which is just incredibly sad. That is awful. Yeah. Um, while she was there, she endured horrible mistreatment. Um, the food and sanitation were awful. Uh, and she was there for 10 days before lawyers from the world uh, got her out. Uh, and it should be said uh, that when they first concocted this plan, they did not specify when or how they would get her out of the asylum. So, so she was just on she, faith. Yeah, they had, she had no idea when she was getting out. Because before she went in, they, she actually asked them, how am I getting out? And they said, we don't know, we'll find a way. And she went in anyway. Oh my gosh. And I... Thankfully, they followed through and they actually did get her out because it, it could have been very easy for the world to have just left her there oh because no, nobody would have ever known. No. No one would have to know. Uh, so I'm glad, very glad that they were, that they stuck to their word. She uh, took a big risk. Yeah, she did. But she, she was just so courageous and I don't, I don't even know if courageous is really the word. She was just out for adventure. She mm -hmm. just wanted she just wanted to do it so bad and to, to see and to know for herself, uh, which is just amazing. That power of curiosity seemed to have really been the driving force through, through most of her career. Yeah, that's, that is definitely true. Mm -hmm. um, she published her story just a couple of days after she got out, um, and it ultimately, thankfully, it led to a lot of positive change. Of course, after she was out... Uh, the uh, Blackwell Island was tipped off that she had she was a reporter, and of course they tried everything that they could to try to like clean up their act in time for the inspectors to come audit them, but they weren't able to to do it quick enough, and uh, they were basically you know found out, uh, which is just awful, mm -hmm. awful that they kind of had to backtrack and try to make things the way that they were supposed to be. Which the way that they that, should have been yeah. all along. Which means that they and, knew that they were subpar. Oh, yeah. And that they were being awful to, yeah. to their patients. Yeah. There's one passage. So the her articles are actually, her articles about this time are actually available uh, in, like, one collection. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. You can get them on, if you have a Kindle, they're available on Amazon for, like, 99 cents. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, if you're interested in reading the story, like, from her own, in her own words, I highly recommend it. But there is one quote that I want to read in which she is in an ice bath. 
um, at the asylum, which is very brutal. And specifically why I want to read it is just because it, it reminded me so much of uh, when we did the Tough Mudder, mm-hmm. um, that the, the Arctic Enema, which was basically an ice bath that it we was had awful. to go into. I didn't do it, but Kat did. And <laughs> real quick, just like a side note about that, that obstacle, doing the Tough Mudder was one of the most rewarding things that I've done. Um, because it was just, it pushes your endurance and you don't have to do the obstacles, but this one, it involved getting in this ice cold bath, going underwater to get under this wall and coming out the other side. Easily, like, 20 seconds tops you're in this water. Yeah. But my reaction coming out of this water was just pure anger (laughs) (laughs) at nothing. Just anger and fury. That was the only emotion that my brain could come up with. And that was, like, a 20-second experience for me. Yeah. It looked looked awful. It It was. It looked like the worst experience. But... I, for these ice, this was something that these patients were routinely subjected to, oh were God. these long ice baths. So this is her description of going through one of these ice baths. Um, so to quote, my teeth chattered and my limbs were goose fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly I got one after the other, three buckets of water over my head, ice cold water, two into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced some of the sensations of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. For once I did look insane. Which I just think is Wow. I, they waterboarded her, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just a very haunting like description especially now just having even though i didn't do the arctic enema i just watched people do it and the awful experience of seeing people go through that for only a few seconds is awful that i can't imagine you know having to be routinely subjected to it for for you know who knows how long yeah and the arctic enema was entirely you know voluntary yeah (laughs) this is not this i don't i i I don't understand what they think that that could be treating you for except for just punishment just punishment yeah they yeah she in in her essays she also talks about how there really were no activities they were all basically forced to sit upright in chairs around a room and not talk at all not move not talk and she basically asks in these essays like who wouldn't go insane just from this alone it's Mm -hmm. not these people aren't insane they're going insane because of what is happening to them Mm -hmm. um she actually describes the insane asylum as a human rat trap like once you get in there's no getting out and it's terrifying uh man can you imagine being in there uh, on a job and not knowing if and when someone will come for you, and just being put in there because... I, I, I can only imagine the reason that so many of these women in particular were put in there was just because they were women and certain men had a problem with them yeah. and basically said, hey, this woman I know is mentally ill. Yeah. You know, that that was the same time period that they thought hysteria was a real thing. Oh, yeah. Hysteria was a real problem, mm-hmm. du- quote unquote, during this time, where it was, it didn't take much at all. All it took was, like you said, an unhappy husband mm-hmm. or a woman maybe being a little bit sad that day. Mm-hmm. And that's all it took. And it's, it's very upsetting. It is. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Just the fact that she exposed that, though, yeah. it was is incredible that she yeah. was able to keep the mind, up, you know, to not 
go off the deep end, as it were, and and to write everything down, like, days after she went through it and get it out there. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And she she did. She had such endurance and such tenacity because after experiencing all of that, I don't know how, what kind of state I would be in. I don't know if I'd even be able to write about my experiences so soon after having them. Yeah, there's a real risk of actual PTSD. Yeah. Like, that, that is something that she really... Yeah, had to gamble with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, but thankfully, after she exposed them, a lot of good came out of it. So the New York government was forced to allocate uh, one million extra dollars per year to uh, treating the mentally ill, which was awesome. It's you know it did a lot to improve the care at the uh, institution. So that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then in 1888, uh, Nellie Bly got the uh, the idea for her next big stunt. Uh, she wanted to travel around the world in 80 days like Phileas Fogg in Jewel Verne's book of the same name. So she basically wanted to just... I see this as her just wanting to just travel mm-hmm. and just to do a thing, just to do it. And she was like, let's just, like, make this a big, like, just a stunt. Yeah. Um, And I just, I think that that's awesome. And there had already been intrigue in the idea. uh, And then she just was like, I want to be the one to do it. But unfortunately, despite the interest in the idea, the editors had a problem with sending a woman to do this job. They really wanted to send a man. And in fact, I have another quote that I need to find. Uh, from a note. yeah, I have a handwritten note this time. Uh, so this was I don't know who specifically said this. It was one of the editors at the World in response to her wanting to go, and he said, "It is impossible for you to do this. In the first place, you are a woman, and you would need a protector. And even if it were possible for you to travel alone, you would need so much baggage that it would." uh, It would detain you from making rapid changes. Besides, you speak nothing but English. No one but a man can do this. Which is just, like, the most infuriating... That's what you say to Nellie Bly when you want her to, like, get something done. Oh, yeah. Because there's no... From what I know of her, if... It almost sounds like it could be reverse psychology. Because putting myself a little bit into Nellie Bly's shoes, if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, oh, you don't know what you've just (laughs) done. Yeah, and in fact, she very famously responded by saying, start your man around the world and I will start myself the same day for another newspaper and beat him, which I think is just like the most badass thing that you can possibly, that is like the most badass clapback in history. Oh my god, she's (laughs) so cool. I love it so much. And so uh, eventually, it took a year for them to agree to let her take this trip. And when she did take this trip, she set off by herself. She had no one with her. She had two small bags. Um, She kept her money around her neck. And that was it. She did not have tons of baggage, as was forecasted by her editors, which I think might have partially been out of spite. (laughs) Just like, I'm going to take as little as possible on this trip with me. And uh, she actually, she was able to do it. She, She, you know, completely mapped out the route herself, and she was able to get herself around the world, and she actually beat the record by completing her journey in 72 days as opposed to 80 days. Wow. Which was a new record. Which was amazing. I love the idea that she 
wanted to do this for the adventure, and then it turned into wanting to do it out of spite yeah. <laughs> for for the men that she worked with. Like, yeah. that is amazing. Yeah, I love it so much. But in fact, so there was a rival newspaper called The Cosmopolitan that found out that Nellie Bly was doing this. And in response, because they were kind of jealous of all of the publicity that the New York world was getting out of this, that they decided to send their own female journalist on a very similar trip around the world. And the journalist that they sent, her name was Elizabeth uh, Bisland. And so she, she set off on her own journey. And Nellie had no idea that Elizabeth was also in kind of quote unquote competition with her. But by the time Nellie found out, she honestly couldn't have cared less. She was like, who cares if somebody else is doing it? Yeah. Which really says to me that she really didn't care about the assignment so much as she cared about the adventure of travel because yeah. <laughs> she could she could not have cared less that somebody else was trying to beat her yeah well and that's a sign of of, of her integrity too you know yeah. just like she she was probably just as excited about just having women traveling more than yeah. she was like all right cool someone else is doing it good for them yeah i hope that they succeed yeah exactly you know? which is just awesome to me i love so that cool. i love that she just she only really cared about you know her, what her own like ambitions were amazing but yeah so she she achieved that goal and like just I I love her just so much for what she was able to accomplish during the time that she was that she was alive because it was not it, even though the tides were starting to turn a little bit because this was the late 1800s and so the suffragist movement was starting to pick up and, you know, women would have the right to vote in a matter of decades, but it still wasn't a very, it was starting to become a more progressive time, but they still had some very backwards thoughts about what, you know, women could do. And she just thwarted expectation at every turn, and she was just such a badass, yeah. and I loved her so much. Oh my gosh, I love her too. Yeah. She, I, I really want to read, I know that there are several biographies of her that I really, one of them I saw, I think I sent you a picture because I was at my parents' house, Yes. and my mom had a, a yes. biography of her, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta send this to Michaela, <laughs> because I, she, it's just, she sounds so fascinating and ambitious and driven, and I yeah. just, I love that, especially for her time period, I mean, when it was... You know, she just wasn't satisfied, so she went out and found adventure and just had a lot of opinions and was very vocal about them. I just, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. I actually, there is a biography that I just downloaded on my Kindle. I'm trying to scroll through and find the name of it because I wanted to read it. So it's called Nellie Bly, Daredevil Reporter Feminist by Brooke Kroger. Okay. So... And from the reviews, it's a wonderful biography, okay. so I'm very excited to read it. Oh my gosh, I'll have to get that too. I wonder if it's available on audiobook. I think I think this one is actually available for free. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I think that you can download it. That's awesome. If you would like. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah, bringing her. I absolutely. love Nellie Bly. I was super excited when you said that <laughs> you were going to uh, talk about her today, because she's just such a badass. Oh, yeah, I love talking about her. So. She's awesome. Well, shall we uh, take a little wine break and hear from our sponsor? Yes, let's. All right, we will be back after this message. All right, we are back. We have wine refills, and it is my turn. Yeah. We're going to do my crush corner now, and I'm going to be talking about one of my all-time, long-term favorite content creators on YouTube, Miss Jenna Marbles. 
good choice. Oh, she is fantastic. I've heard her described as, quote-unquote, a good bean, and that is, like, how I always imagine her. Yeah. Um, most of you actually might know who Jenna Marbles is because she is the most subscribed to woman in the United States and the second most subscribed to woman in the world. Wow. Right after a Mexican content creator called whose name is uh, Yuya. So you probably know at least her name or have seen her. Uh, she is fantastic. So I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about her today. Uh, so she is an American YouTube celebrity, vlogger, blogger, streamer, podcaster, and just general internet personality. She's been active on YouTube since 2010, so almost 10 years now. And in the nine years she's been around, she's accumulated over 20 million subscribers to her channel, making her the 106th most subscribed to YouTube channel in the world and the 39th most subscribed to channel in the United States. Dang. Beyond being, like, the top woman on YouTube right now. <laughs> um... She is just, oh, I'll get into her, into her videos in a little bit, but uh, her real name is Jenna Mori, and she was born in Rochester, New York. She actually went to school to get a master's degree in psychology with an interest in sports psychology, huh. which I didn't know was a thing, but apparently it would be her, she wanted to work with athletes on overcoming things like, you know, just blocks that are in athletes' minds. She's very sports-oriented, mm. and she is an athlete herself. Um... She, while she was working on getting her master's degree, she was working multiple part-time jobs, and kind of on a whim, she began publishing content on YouTube on her first channel. Uh, she went under her real name, Jenna Mori, but when she started gaining traction, her mom actually complained because her, her mom, Deborah, was trying to get a job, and every time potential employers would Google her last name, Jenna's videos would come up. <laughs> so Jenna actually changed her YouTube pseudonym to Jenna Marbles after her pet chihuahua, Mr. Marbles. And that's kind of where that Aww, name came from. That's so cute. Yeah, I just love the idea that her mom was like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, her first viral video was published in 2010 entitled How to Trick People into Thinking You're Really, Really Good Looking. Uh, when I typed up these notes, it had over 68 million views. Um, in the video, it's just her kind of doing this very self-deprecating, you know, you wear skimpy outfits and you put on a ton of makeup so no one can identify who you actually are. <laughs> and uh, in it, she actually used some problematic language that was probably fine for when it came out, but she would refer to herself as looking like a quote-unquote streetwalker or quote-unquote whore, which nowadays is just not okay to say. It's really rude and offensive to use those words. Um, in response to that, in 2016, Jenna actually did a video of herself reacting to some of these old videos and called them totally cringeworthy and just pointed out that she was of a really immature mindset at the time. Oof, I can't imagine having to go back and watch videos that you made 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> she says she really didn't like it, but I believe when she did this reaction video, it was her like 300th episode or, you know, video that she posted, so she wanted to do something that the fans had been wanting her to do. And she, she did say that uh, she doesn't like watching those old videos because they just make her think about who she used to be. And uh, she has a quote that says, I think I will always have a relatively immature sense of humor, but I'm certainly a full-grown adult at this point, which I like a lot. So she sees these videos, and she I'm sure she appreciates the fame that they garnered her, but she also recognizes that like she was you know 10 years younger, and yeah. it was, she was problematic you yeah. know at least in these videos not 
malicious. Yeah. But just naive yeah. to a lot of things. Yeah. It must be so hard when you when you have something like a YouTube channel where everything that you ever create is kind of like a time capsule. Yeah. And it's just always there. Yeah, well, and even though she says that she is, you know, she sees them as cringeworthy, she won't delete them. Yeah. You know, which I think is, is, is nice. Yeah. Uh, she also has said that she thinks that having a comment section and reading all the comments has helped her grow as a person, oh. which a lot of YouTube creators don't do because it can be a very toxic place, the comment section. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I I can't even imagine having to like go through late at night while you're in bed and seeing mean comments. Mm. But she took her, you know, criticisms that people had of her to heart, which is very important. Um, her channel then began including footage of her partner, Julian Salamita, and the show began evolving into a less scripted and more freeform style of vlogging. Uh, Julian also has his own vlogging channel, which nowadays he's mostly doing cooking videos, which is really fun and entertaining. Um, but they, they've made their lives a little more accessible and relatable to their viewers. Uh, however, this did give fans a sense of entitlement, and in 2017, Julian uploaded a video onto his page titled Don't Come to Our House, because fans would try to find out where they Ugh, lived. Yikes. And he, Boundaries. Yeah, and he had said in the video, he's like, you know, Jenna is the kind of person who is kind enough to come out and take a picture with your kid, but this is not an okay thing to do. And uh, I'll go into into the the whole you know, entitlement thing in a little bit, but I mean, it was a huge violation to them. And now they, they've since moved into a much bigger house and they won't share photos of what the front of the house looks like. Probably for the best. Yeah. It's, it's definitely wise. Um, about a year ago, and this is one of the things that really made me love Jenna. Uh, so about a year ago, Jenna uploaded a video entitled what happened to my fishies. And this was probably one of the few examples of a YouTube apology video done right. Because when I say a YouTube apology, some of the first things that may come to your head are fake tears and just self-pitying and, you know, cries of, I didn't know any better, I'm very sorry, I'm a good person. Yeah. In this video, it's a 47 long 47 minute long video that she put up about a video that she had previously posted and taken down of her and Julian going to buy some pet fish. Uh, and she had gone to a place that had great reviews, like a specialty fish shop, and they had told her to buy a certain aquarium and care for these fish this certain way. And so she posted a video showing them getting these fish. And she apparently got a ton of comments saying that what she was doing was wrong. It was the, people say that the, it was like a circular, um, I think it was called a bio orb tank and it distorted their vision, uh, the, the fish's vision. It made them think that there were predators. It was just a generally unsafe aquarium. And when Jenna found out that she had made this error, she says that she didn't sleep for a day and a half oh. and she just sobbed. Oh. Not because she was getting in trouble, but because... She felt bad. She felt bad. Uh, she has said that when she brings a pet home, they are part of her family. And her being a vegan and caring about animals so much has made it impossible for her to be okay with making this mistake. Uh, so she deleted that vi original video and then uploaded this apology video explaining that she was, you know, not only misinformed, but that she should have done the research necessary. 
And in that video, she, at the end, does include the original video. So it's not, you know, wiped off the face of the internet. Yeah. And she says, you know, in this video, you'll see us making these huge mistakes. And it was never my intention to put these animals in danger or, you know, make them feel unsafe or make them unhealthy. And she ended up returning the fish because she was not well-equipped to take care of them in the proper way. Many fans said that it was an overreaction and that she was fine, they're just fish, and she was like, no, this is a real living, breathing creature, yeah. and it's my responsibility to make sure that they have a happy life. Yeah. And the fact that she addressed this so thoroughly in this video just kind of shows what a real apology looks like, and also her own levels of integrity. Yeah. That is so that is so responsible of her. It is, because in a lot of people's minds, they are just fish. But she does point out, you know, we live in a culture where you, you know, up until recently, you could win a goldfish at a carnival, and if it dies, it dies. But that's not a good mindset to have. No, especially when you are, when you are a pet owner, like you are taking, you are responsible for that creature. Yes. Uh, she had actually talked in that video about her, she had a pet hamster at the time who unfortunately has since passed away. But when she originally got her hamster, whose full name is Adward sponsor hands. <laughs> it took me a minute to figure that out. Uh, which, as a joke, they called him Ad. Uh, she had gotten the supplies that she thought she needed at a Petco or a PetSmart, and of course, the cage was far too small to be healthy. And so she, you know, got you know basically a huge tank for him. You know, she posted videos of herself, you know, cleaning it out and decorating it, and she really made the best you know, life for this hamster while he was alive because she she says that that was my son. Like, that was, yeah. you know, I had to treat him like a child because he's my responsibility. So she fervently cares about her pets and is willing to do the research. And the fact that she had overlooked so much in getting these fish, like, really struck her and really, you know, she, she used it as a teachable moment about, yeah. you know the 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 problem with going unprepared to get a pet on a whim and i think that it, it was great for her viewers to see especially her younger viewers and it just told me so much about her as a person yeah it was just it was really refreshing to see an apology video like that yeah because so many so many people would just get defensive mm -hmm. oh yeah and it would be so easy to and like she pointed out, ton, a ton of her fans wouldn't even blink twice. They'd be like, ah, she made a mistake. It's not a big deal. But she really took it to heart and she learned from it. And when she realized that she couldn't provide for these fish, she took them back. Yeah. And she even said that she's like, I'm not going to put the fish store on blast. But, you know, I went there because they had incredible reviews and it was still my fault. Yeah. Which it would have been so easy for her to say like, oh, well, I was lied to at the store and yeah. she didn't do that. Which I think is great. Yeah, that's so wholesome. I know, I love her so much. Um, in early 2018, and I'm going to be touching on the idea, I'm not going to go into detail, but just a, a brief content warning, uh, I'm going to be talking about the suicide forest in Japan, so there'll be a little bit of talk about this. Um, in early 2018, Jenna and Julian uh, published an episode of their podcast where they talked about the Logan Paul incident. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, that rings sort of a bell. Yeah, I mean, but... if you think of Logan Paul, it's just all controversy. Yeah. Um, but for those of you who don't know, Logan Paul is a very popular YouTube star and actor, and he has a very... His channel is almost like that show Jackass, where it's just him and his friends being as obnoxious as they can. And they had a series of videos that took place on 
during their trip to Japan. And most of their videos were highly offensive and disrespectful to not only the, the people and the culture, but just to their viewers, because it was just essentially them making fun of the Japanese. And it was awful. And in one of these videos, they go to, and I'm, I may butcher this name and I apologize, but they went to Okigara Forest, which is also known as the Suicide Forest in Japan, which is a notorious site for people who commit suicide mm. or die by suicide rather. And they even have signs posted through the forest, like, please, you have people that love you because oh, it's wow. such a problem. And there have been a lot of movies made about this place that are in poor taste, in my opinion, because it's it's a very real problem in, in Japan. And it's awful that this is kind of the, the reputation of this forest. Yeah. Um, is there any... I wonder, has there been any, like, st like, research done as to why this is such a... I'm sure there has been. Yeah. My theory is that this is what this place kind of developed the reputation for, and therefore people are just kind of feeding into that. So yeah. if someone is having suicidal thoughts, they may just think that this is the place to, to do it. Yeah. Which is, it's tragic. It yeah. is, it's so awful when, when someone dies of suicide, and it's just, it's terrible. And because of that being such a serious issue... That's why what happened next is so problematic. Logan Paul went into this forest with his friends to camp out, and they filmed a body that they found. And like they, an, a an actual body. An actual body. And they blurred out the face, but at that point it doesn't matter. It is an entirely disrespectful, offensive thing to do. Yeah. And he did it for the content. When Jenna and Julian found out about this, they posted on their podcast not only calling out Logan Paul, but calling out YouTube, their own employer, on the way that they handled the issue. And Jenna has this beautifully eloquent speech that she gives about the dangers of not only being a disrespectful person, but letting the idea of content on YouTube become bigger than your own personality and your own morality. And I listened to it, actually, I, I think I've watched the video maybe three or four times of her talking about this, and it is very powerful because she basically says directly to, you know, the audience, but kind of by way of speaking to Logan Paul, you have lost who you are as a person. Because this is not about your morality, it's not about what you think is right, you're doing this for views, and you have sold your soul to the devil yeah. by doing so. And she is 100% right. And I love that, you know, and she also attacked YouTube, basically, who, which she has a lot to, to lose. That's her entire income is through YouTube. And she basically said that, you know, this video was trending, you know, this video that children are seeing and being traumatized by. And that is not okay for this platform. This is a democratic platform and it is, it's self-policing and we need to make sure this shit doesn't get out there and become trending. Yeah. This is dangerous. And it, it you know, it promotes this mentality of, you know, it doesn't matter who you're offending or who you're hurting, the views are what matter. Yeah. And the shock value is what matters. It's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. And she is obviously disgusted in this video talking about it. Um, she actually says that, you know, one of the most important things to her is that when she was being raised, her mother would let her listen to whatever music she wanted to or watch whatever videos or movies she wanted to, but she would have a conversation saying, 
you can enjoy what you want to enjoy, but you need to understand that you have a right to decide what is okay and what is not, and what you want to consume and what you do not choose to consume. And she said that, you know, it's important that we have these conversations with our children or our young relatives who are on YouTube watching this stuff. Like, you don't have to support someone who does something that you think is not okay just because they're popular and famous. Yeah. And I think that it shows a lot of her integrity in that and the fact that she is willing to step up and loudly say what she believes to be not okay. Yeah. And I, I think that it speaks a lot to her character. Yeah, 100%. Because mm-hmm. she is a leader in on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And it's so important that she used this platform to be able to speak out so vocally against that. Yeah. I love that. She, she did say, too, that, you know, and this kind of goes back to the whole privacy thing. And when they had to put out a video saying, don't come to our house... Um, Julian actually brought this up in this podcast and he said that, you know, they've seen videos of people going to see Logan Paul or other big YouTubers and their parents will take their teenage or preteen or child or children to these things and say, oh, I don't know who this person is, but my kid loves them. So I'll do anything for my kid. Dude. And both Jenna and Julian say like, that is such a bad parenting move. Yeah. What are you teaching your child? Yeah, like just, you know, you're... It's okay to stalk somebody and just, you know... Not only that, but like, how are you so unaware of what your child is consuming? You know, don't say that they can't watch something because they're going to find a way to watch it. Yeah. But have that dialogue and that conversation about what is and is not okay and where their own morality lies. Yeah. Because... The fact that parents will like blindly like, oh yeah, Jake Paul and Logan Paul are doing this thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to take my kid to it. Yeah. It's very disconnected. Yeah. And it's not healthy. Yeah. And I love that Jenna and Julian both came out and said that blatantly and were very open and honest about their feelings about that. Yeah. Um, because it's true. You know, it's it's dangerous out there and you know you you, I feel like I don't have children Jenna and Julian don't have children and they say that but they're like I can't imagine not having that conversation with someone that I love who's younger and impressionable yeah about what is and is not okay on the internet yeah and it's hard because there's so much that is accessible on the internet you Mm -hmm. can find basically whatever you want and there's really no, no matter what age you are you can find it if you know how to if you know how to look oh yeah and it's it's really scary and it is it's very important to have those conversations and to help kids navigate Mm -hmm. and to help them learn how to trust their gut and to instill in them a a good sense of morality so that they know when they find something that is wrong jenna actually said in this in this kind of rant that she was on that you know to the 11 year old viewers like you you do matter in this conversation your opinion matters in this And if you decide not to like someone anymore, it is 100% valid and okay. Because, you know, there's no, you don't have to have loyalty to someone whose behavior is awful, or if they make a mistake. And she said kind of, you know, a direct open letter in an open message to Logan, what your colleagues want to see from you is not years and years of you apologizing. It's change and growth. Yeah. And I think that Jenna, because she showed her own change and growth through the years on her channel, she nailed it. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that she is 100% right. And she said that I don't respect you because you're you're not doing this for any of the right reasons. And you're not, you don't have integrity when you do stuff like this. Yeah. And I just, I think that it was, 
it was refreshing to see a content creator kind of speak out against that yeah. mentality. Yeah. Of wanting to do it for the, you know, for the views. Yeah. Basically. She's like the big sister of the internet. She is. There were a lot of people in the <laughs> comment section actually calling her mom. <laughs> like, oh yeah, mom and dad are mad, you know, <laughs> which I think is really cute. Um, but going back to kind of a lighter note, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the content that she's been posting lately. Um, she, one of the, there's a, a user on YouTube called Day by Dave, who uploaded a video entitled The Unseen Truth of Jenna Marbles, in which he kind of talked about what makes her different from other popular vloggers or YouTubers these days. And some of the bullet points I have is that she doesn't do sponsorship deals or brand deals, even though she could probably double her income and find sponsors that would work for her audiences. She just doesn't do it. Yeah, that's, um, that's wonderful. I yeah. love that. She has no mid-roll advertisements in her video, even though her videos are long enough to allow it. Usually she'll just have one, if any, commercial at the beginning, and that's it. So the video is not constantly interrupted by commercials, yeah. which drives me crazy on YouTube yeah. when I see that. Uh, and she does not pump out merchandise constantly. Occasionally she'll come out with something. Uh, a couple years ago she came out with a couple dog toys that she, you know, that featured... Uh, they, they, were, they looked exactly like her dogs, Kermit and Marbles. Aww. And she sold them for a little while, but she doesn't constantly say like, hey, I've got new stuff in my shop. In fact, I think it's really hard to find Jenna Marbles merchandise anywhere. Yeah. Because it's very, you know, few and far between. Yeah. Which I think is nice. She doesn't, yeah. you know, pressure her audience to buy anything by her. Yeah. Um, she also doesn't use any custom thumbnails or clickbaity titles. In fact, her episode titles will explain exactly what's happening in her videos, <laughs> which her videos themselves, n disregarding everything good she's done as a content creator and everything she's spoken out about, her content itself is some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen on she, YouTube. Oh, she is so funny. She's hysterical because she does what she wants to do. And it's never at anyone's expenses. It's, you know, it's never mean-spirited. It's just her having fun, yeah. usually at home with her pets and her boyfriend. Yeah. Just having a good time. Yeah. She just, she exudes comedy. Oh, God. Just, like, just her being. Yeah. Just, she's just funny. She is very charismatic. She's very funny. And she's down to earth, but she also has this level of, like, nonsense and fun about her that just makes her a delight to watch. Yeah. So I actually have some of the names of... Uh, some of her videos just to, to maybe entice you because like I said they're not clickbaity which is great so some of the videos I have are uh, hydro dipping a pair of crocs giving my dogs a bath while they listen to royalty free spa music <laughs> a full face of rhinestones turning my boyfriend into a brat's doll which is one of my favorite videos <laughs> trying to get my chihuahua to sit for 20 minutes <laughs> giving myself a lash perm my dog reviews soap I turned my hair into a Hot Wheels track. And this one is one of my favorites. This is one of her most recent videos. Taking a nap for 20 million subscribers. <laughs> I actually did watch that oh one. Oh my gosh. It's basically her <laughs> explaining that, you know, like, I didn't, I couldn't come up with an idea for something, you know, really fun and entertaining to celebrate hitting that 20 million subscriber mark. So I'm, I just need a nap. <laughs> and, you know, you can't put up a video of you, like, sleeping or you can't stream videos of yourself sleeping, but it's... You know, it's a super cut of these 20 minutes where she was trying to sleep and it's her dogs are just ruining the entire experience. <laughs> and in the video, she says to, you know, to Julian, you wake me up in 20 minutes. And it's just, you know, shots of her trying to fall yeah. asleep. And at the end of the video, she says she maybe got two or three minutes of sleep. But it, it was like number one on the trending YouTube <laughs> list. 
for like several days. That's brilliant. Because she's just like, I don't know how she does it, but like her fan, she never disappoints her fans. Yeah. Even with a video like that. <laughs> and she doesn't try to make it seem like it's anything it's not. Yeah. Uh, she actually posted a video last week because she, she uploads every Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, this past Wednesday, she uploaded a video that was entitled My Mom Is Here.mov. And it was a two and a half minute video. And it was just her explaining that there wasn't going to be a video that week because her mom was in town for Thanksgiving and they just wanted to cook and, and relax. So it was kind of her saying, you know, hey, sorry, there's no video. And it was number nine on trending the day oh, it came out. Oh my God. So people are like, it doesn't matter. If yeah, you put they- it up, we will watch it and like it. Yeah. And the fact that she has that open honesty with her with her viewers is just incredible. Yeah. It's it's so good. So, uh, yeah, they, they've got the YouTube channel, and then Jenna and Julian also stream on Twitch. Uh, they usually play, like, PUBG or other games, and they've got, like, 4,500 subscribers on Twitch. That's fabulous. <coughs> Sorry. I'm back. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I just, I love that she's able to find such a good balance between her personal life and her career. Yeah. And kind of combine them in ways that don't betray her privacy and her own morals. And I just think that she is an excellent role model for young people who are trying to make it on YouTube or in any social media, you know, platform. I just, I love her to death. She is so funny and just so relatable and cool. Yeah, she, she really is. She really is so wholesome and sweet and funny. Yeah. And her relationship with her dogs is great. They've got four dogs now. There's Mr. Marbles, the Chihuahua, who's now, like, geriatric. And they, <laughs> they will joke about, like, him, like, not knowing where he is or who oh, anyone is. Poor baby. I know. But, like, and she, you know, she's got all these nicknames for him. And then she also has two Italian greyhounds, um, Kermit and Peach. And then they recently adopted a rescue greyhound named Bunny. And they've kind of documented her kind of rehabilitation process into learning how to dog. Uh-huh. So they talk about how they've been training her and getting her used to things like stairs and being outside and running around because uh, Bunny never grew up living as a dog. She was a blood donor dog, basically. Yeah. And um, so th- them just like showing all the responsibility they take for their pets, too, is so important. Yeah. Because it really, it's inspiring to see someone devote not only the energy, but the screen time to, like, their pets is just so wholesome to me. Yeah, that's so sweet. I know. I just, I love her so much, and I, I, every week I get so excited looking, you know, waiting for her new video. Yeah. So. Such a treat. I know. I have such a crush on Jenna. Oh, I have such a crush on her now, too. Definitely check her out. Highly recommend it if you want to laugh your ass off. Yes. Definitely. Okay, so, yeah, that's my crush corner today. Oh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting me talk about her. Absolutely. Uh, shall we go into our infatuation station? Sure. Why um, don't you go first for infatuation station this week? Okay. Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing? Animal Crossing. <gasps> I don't know if you've ever played Animal Crossing. I have not, but... <gasps> okay, so, I have played Animal Crossing on and off for years, and if you're unfamiliar, it's basically just a a really relaxing game on, it started out on GameCube, and I play it on my Nintendo DS, and you are a mayor of this little town where all the villagers are anthropomorphic animals, and you can catch fish, and find fossils, and garden, and make friends, and build relationships, and basically improve improve your town day to day with these tasks and it is so relaxing and beautiful to look at that I, I picked it back up last week and I noticed that you know I'd play for 30 minutes at a time and I noticed that while I was playing it 
my phone was like in the other room. Uh-huh. And I wasn't paying attention to Facebook yeah. or Twitter or any social media because I was just getting lost in this really chill game with this beautiful music, trying to catch fish so I can donate them to my little museum. Aww. So I can upgrade my house. It's just <laughs> it is such a wholesome, relaxing game that I just totally lost myself in it this past week. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it would be something that you could just spend hours on. You, yeah, it is. What, what's kind of cool about it, though, is that it works with the clock in your whatever system you're playing with. So when it's it's kind of in real time. So if I opened it right now, we're filming at like 5.30 or we're filming. We're recording this at 5.30 p.m. If I open the game, it would be 5.30 p.m. in oh. the game. And there's certain things you can't do after everyone goes to bed in your village. Yeah. So it kind of forces you to like... Can you can you rig the system and like set your phone to like a, a different time you zone? You can. Yeah, yeah, you can. That's It's it's like a... People call it time traveling on yeah. the Animal Crossing Facebook and Reddit groups that I'm part of. And it's sometimes I frowned upon. Oh yeah, you got it. Like, you have to because you got to find out the best way to like breed your flowers so they come up with these beautiful colors. Um... <laughs> But it's, you can definitely cheat at it, which I think is just as valid. It's just a game for fun. Yeah. But um, it's it's just really, it's nice because, you know, if you're up until, if you're up for six hours, the game will be like, hey, are you okay? Do you yeah. need to, like, take a break? <laughs> which is really nice. But it's just, it's, it's a really fun, relaxing game that will distract you from social media, Aww. which is excellent. Yeah. So I, I love it. And the new one Aww. comes out on the Switch in March, and I'm going to buy it so fast. <laughs> I'm very intrigued by that. It's so fun. You mm. should definitely try it out. I might give it a try. Yeah, it may, like, suck up all your time. That's okay. <laughs> it sounds like I won't be too upset by it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my crush corner. I actually started um, kind of like a bullet journal, like, guide on how to unlock certain locations <gasps> and, like, so I could keep track of all the bugs that I've caught Ooh. for, you know, my museum and stuff. So it's, I'm diving pretty deep into it yeah. again. So we'll see how long I can keep my town up <laughs> before. Because if you don't turn the game on for like over 30 days, the villagers will be like, where yeah. were you? <laughs> like, we were worried about you and your town will be overcome with weeds that you have to pull. Oh, no. Yeah, there is a little bit of pressure. Yeah. yeah. And that way it's, it kind of reminds me of like a Tamagotchi or like Neopets where there is that like actual like time crunch where yeah. you have to be very aware. Yeah, because otherwise... It is like having a responsibility. It is. It's very low stakes, for... but it's, it's, you know, you gotta like keep up the correspondence with the neighbors and you can, you know, because if you don't, they may move away yeah. and Uh-oh. you don't know don't. who you're going to get in their place. <laughs> so it's just, it's very wholesome. It's very fun. The colors are beautiful. I just, I really love it. So Aww. that's my infatuation station. Aww. I love that. Thank you. What's your infatuation station? So my infatuation station this week is very simple. So I have this app called well actually you know what it's gonna be a two-parter okay so i just decided this now i opened up my phone and was reminded of another one so the first one is going to be this app that's called mystic mondays and it's actually a very just simple tarot card app where you only get one card per day so your card resets at midnight and then you get to draw another card that's just kind of like your card of the day. Oh, nice. And then just, the, but the cards themselves are really, really just beautiful. Oh, wow. And yeah, I, I just have the app open for Cat to see. But it's a very, very, I, you know, whether or not you put any stock into tarot, I'm pretty, you know, on and off about it. I, you know, tend to 
use it when I am in desperate need of like guidance of yeah. some sort. And it's just, it's interesting. I saw a, I think it was actually a Humans of New York post that was quoting a uh, tarot card reader that said, you know, you find what you want in the cards and that in itself like can help you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's like 100% true, at least my experience with tarot. And yeah, so, me too. Yeah, and so I find this app to be very helpful at times where I'm just like, ah, like I'm really overwhelmed. I don't know what to think or do. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, I don't know, it's like a good like grounding exercise too because it like you have to like meditate and like just like kind of get centered for a second and mm-hmm. then it kind of like, I don't know, it's like a nice little grounding thing. But it's a very, very pretty app and they actually have a deck that you can buy. So I haven't bought the deck, but it is available for sale. So if you do like the cards that are in the app, you can buy the whole deck. And the artwork have it on. is very beautiful. Yeah, it is really beautiful. The way that I like to think about, you know, tarot reading and tarot cards, because I, I have a couple decks. I've, you know, tried to kind of teach myself and memorize the meanings, although it's still really hard for me. Yeah. When you pull a, a random card and you're trying to figure out how it may fit to your situation, it just gets you thinking about that situation. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, what you were saying yeah. about, you know, it's like it puts you in that. reflection Exactly. So even if you don't know what's bothering you, if something in the card kind of triggers a thought or a memory or, hey, you know what, I have been stressed out about this thing for a while, it just has that, you know, it allows you to touch base with yourself in that way. Yeah. And whether or not you hold stock in, because I don't think they tell the future. I no. think that it's all up for interpretation. Yeah. But it is a good uh, meditation tool. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And I, that's what I've, that's the value that I've always gotten from them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use this app quite, quite frequently and I, I enjoy it a lot. And it's called Magic Mondays? It's called uh, Mystic Mondays. Mystic Mondays. Okay. Yeah. And quite enjoy that. But then my other infatuation station is that was actually brought to me by Austin this week. He discovered this song by a Japanese singer called Kokia. And the song itself is called Fukuro, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is this hauntingly beautiful song. And I love it so much. It sounds like a lullaby. And Austin and I keep trying to figure out what this song was meant to be for because it's actually part of a larger album that is just about animals like each song is about a different type of animal but some of the songs they sound very childlike and we're wondering if if it's like an album of just children's lullabies maybe (laughs) but we can't find any information about the album and so yeah that's just a mystery but we love the songs that are on it particularly Fukuro, which is about um, owls, like it's a very haunting song about this like person that wanders into a forest and then finds this like, I I don't know if it's a witch or somebody who's very in tune with owls who doesn't want that person to be in the forest. But it's a beautiful sounding song. It's, I like the concept. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I, I love finding like new artists or just specific songs that really resonate. Yeah, and just make you go like, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's my infatuation station. I for love this week. it. These are two good ones. <laughs> yeah. When when we were coming up to record, you're like, oh, they're they're you know, it's kind of simple, but simple is good. Yeah, I think it's so nice. too. Uh, yeah, I just I was thinking today, I'm like, what are we gonna talk about for infatuation? And like the, the only thing that's been on my mind is Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice just to like find those simple things. Yeah. And just that's, be that's, in love with them. Exactly. That's exactly what infatuation station is here for. Yes. So I, I love it. Uh, hey, be sure to tell us about your infatuation stations or your crush corners. 
you can always tweet at us at CrushworthyPod on Twitter. We're also at CrushworthyPod on Instagram. And we do have a note about not next week's episode, but the week after. So next week, when we're recording, we're actually going to be recording two episodes in one day because the following week, Michaela is going to be done graduating and she will be out of the state to take part in this beautiful milestone. Yes. Uh, So... Sorry, you're going to... Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So next week, we're going to be recording two episodes, but it would be a lot for us to do two full episodes including two self-love circles two infatuation yeah. stations just two. doesn't just doesn't feel like it'd be very authentic no i'm afraid that we would rush it so what we're going to do i think instead is next week will be a normal episode and then the following week i think we're going to post kind of a conversation slash q a thing And we really need some questions from you guys. If you have questions about our crushes or the podcast or us, you know, as long as they're not too personal, (laughs) like we would love to hear from you guys. So if you have any questions, please either tweet at us or you can email us at crushworthypodcast at gmail.com. Please send us any questions you may have. Um, we probably won't have very many, so you're almost guaranteed to get a shout out. You can include (laughs) your Twitter information or... (laughs) You know, whatever you'd like to plug is probably fine. But it may end up just be being us talking about the podcast yeah. and, and how we got where we are and, and our background with that. So Yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah, just a warning. And we'll we'll put a disclaim we'll we'll put another disclaimer at the end of next week's episode just reminding people because Michaela deserves a week off. I'll take one for sure. <laughs> Uh, but and, and then we'll be back at it the following week. Yes, and then the week after she's back from Arizona, we'll be back to our normal schedule. So there will still be regular episodes, but we will have one episode in there that's not our regular format. So bear with us, if you will. And like I said, please send us questions. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Uh, we love our, you know, the relationships we've built so far on on Twitter, especially. Yeah. Everyone has been so supportive and nice. It's so. been wonderful. Yeah, and then uh, if you haven't already, please go to iTunes and uh, rate and review us. It really helps us out. It helps us find more listeners and or more listeners find us rather, and it just makes us feel good. Yeah, reading those reviews. Yeah. I think we have two two reviews that are both very very kind. I th- yeah. So, I mean, and if you have some gentle criticism, I'm sure we'll be happy to to take it to heart. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. We'll try (laughs) not to cry. Um, No, but seriously, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review if you've got the moment to, and tell your friends about us, because we would love to hear from you. And thank you, Arnie Parrott, for our amazing theme music. You can find him at atptunes.com. Is there anything else that we want to... Is that it? I think that just about sums things up. All right. Well, until next week, you guys, keep on crushing it. Bye. Bye.